Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the Gospel of John, chapter four. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. His messengers go in front of him into the village of the Samaritans to get it ready for him. And they didn't receive him because they knew Jesus had his face set towards Jerusalem. Mount Zion, he's going to Jerusalem. We worship on Jerusalem. And the disciples, James and John, said to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call down fire and consume them? Do you want us to kill all the Samaritans? And Jesus turned and rebuked them. But you see the disdain. You see the hatred they had for this group. Not Jesus. He said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, because I've come for them too. And guess what? All the earth, all of Abraham's children, to the ends of the earth. So he knew this, that he had come for all, but they didn't know that yet. Now, at the end of the fifth century, Sanballat, the governor of Samaria, constructs a temple on top of Mount Gerizim. And a large city flourishes there in the Hellenistic period. And if you remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel interpreting it, when Greece becomes a world power in 331 to 168 BC, Jerusalem gets really Hellenized. It gets really Greeked up, okay? The Macedonian soldiers come in and camp there. It becomes a Greek city. If you go there today, you'll see a lot of Greek architecture, Greek coins, Greek jars, Greek buildings. And even in 2 Maccabees, and this temple was up on top of Jerusalem. And in 2 Maccabees 6, it says to pollute the temple in Jerusalem, to call it the temple of the Olympian Zeus, that's a Greek god, the head of the Greek gods, to call the temple in Jerusalem the temple of Zeus, the friend of strangers, as did the people who lived in that place. So they got really Hellenized. And John Herakinus comes in, and he's the leader of the Maccabean Hasmonean dynasty, and he destroys that temple on Mount Gerizim in 120 BC. That's just 120 years before Jesus Christ. And the Samaritans are furious because that's everything to them, and they want to retaliate. And so in the year 9 BC, Jesus is already born. He's a young boy. Samaritan men come at night in secret to Jerusalem at the time of Passover and scatter bones all over the place and contaminate the temple. Death is on the temple. They can't hold Passover. For the Jews to not hold Passover is, ah! So there was definitely bad blood between these two groups. And I just really want you to feel that. I want you to know that the Jews and Samaritans do not get along. In 63 BC, Samaria gets annexed by Rome. It becomes a province of Syria. And Caesar Augustus is ruling. So Herod the Great names it Sabastia after Augustus. Okay, it's right. Here's Samaria to the north. Here's Judea with Jerusalem, the capital city. And in the middle is this city called Shechem. And that's where we're at today in biblical Shechem. It's right there by Mount Gerizim. And at this place is where you will find Jacob's well to this day, undisputed by every scholar. Joseph's tomb is there. Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. It's a very important biblical place. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus is making more, baptizing more disciples than John. So what John wanted is happening. What John prayed for is happening. John the best man is decreasing. Jesus the bridegroom is increasing. Although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized. Jesus has come to baptize with fire. And oh, how he wishes it was done. But he has to go to the cross first. 
These guys are baptizing with water, John's baptism of repentance. Jesus leaves Judea and heads back up to Galilee. He's going to go back home for a while. But he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Because there was another road he could have taken, which most people took. Most Jews did not travel through Samaria. Uh, uh, uh. But Jesus did. And I like the King James Version because it says he must needs go through Samaria. There's someone there he'd like to meet. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar. It's now, it's Shechem. The plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired out. He's human. He's tired by the journey. He's sitting at the well. It's about noon. It's high noon. It's the absolute brightest time of the day in the Mediterranean sun. Noon. No one goes out at noon. Nicodemus came in the dark at night. He didn't want his identity known. This woman... This sinful woman comes in the brightest, hottest time of the day all alone in full exposure, full sunshine. And in John's gospel, we're going to meet two unfaithful married women. One is from Northern Kingdom, this one today, and one married woman was caught in adultery in the Southern Kingdom in John 8. We've got two adulterous women, one from each kingdom. Israel has been an adulterous nation. She has been a harlot. She has worshiped other gods. She's an unfaithful wife. Remember, God had married Israel in Exodus. God had married Israel in Exodus 19. I bore you on eagle's wings. I brought you to myself. You're my treasured possession out of all the people on the earth. That's bridegroom talk. He's proposing to her at Mount Sinai, and the bride consented, which we know has to happen. The bride says, everything the Lord has said, we will do. And they repeat it again. It's a marriage. Have them wash their clothes because he wants the bride to be blemish-free. And have them prepare for the third day because on the third day, the Lord's going to come down and marry his bride. Now that bride, Israel, became divided, a divided kingdom. And half went to the north and half went to the south. And both were unfaithful brides. They were adulterous married women. And the one from the north is standing in front of Jesus right now, today, And she approached Jesus at the well. She's not the proper pedigree by any means. To the Jews at that time, she is a dirty, filthy, half-breed, low-life, ugh, piece of trash. She's a Samaritan woman. Do you know what the Talmud said, the Babylonian Talmud said about Samaritan women? This is a Jewish rabbi writing, daughters of the Samaritans are menstruants from the cradle. They're dirty. (laughs) If a woman's menstruating, she's dirty. She can't be touched. Therefore, any item that they would handle would be unclean to a Jew. She gives him a ladle. She gives him a bucket. She's filthy. She menstruated from the cradle as a baby. It's forbidden to give a woman any greeting, let alone a Samaritan woman. Why would any Jewish man ever even speak to her? She's been through five husbands. And the one she's with now, number six, was not her husband. Jesus knows in the beginning it was not so. There is no such thing as divorce. What God has joined together, man must not put asunder. These, any of these, none of these are her husband, which makes us think you've had five husbands, Northern Kingdom. You've been a harlot many times over, Northern Kingdom. No other woman in town would dare be seen with her. She's ostracized. She's isolated. She's the lowest of the low. That's pretty bad when women won't go to the well with her. 
Because that's the most social, social, social highlight of the day is for women to go to the well together. There's no cell phones. There's no telephones. This is the only time they can talk. Women like to talk. <laughs> Not to her, they don't. John shows us another bridegroom scene. Enter bridegroom number seven, the perfect one, right? Oh, boy, he could fulfill all her desires. He's not like any of the rest of them. None of them can do it. Jesus is waiting for her at Jacob's well today, and he would like to offer her a true wedding proposal, a spiritual wedding proposal. I could be the fulfillment of all your desire. He has come to set captors free, and she's really stuck in her situation. She's got a bad life. She can't get free of this. He would like to betroth her and give her the most wonderful, incredible wedding gift on the face of the earth, living water, water where she would never be thirsty ever, 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 ever again. All her thirst would be quenched forever. This is a full-blown spiritual marriage proposal at Jacob's well. It's a betrothal. How were other people, people other than Jews, because Jews are God's chosen people, how is anyone else, how are any unchosens going to get back into the kingdom of God? How are sinful lowlifes like Sharon Doran ever going to make it? How are adulteresses supposed to repent and remarry their husband God? How is this going to work? Through living water. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, well, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Truly, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Not by circumcision. Forget it. Not by climbing back up into your mother's birth canal. Forget it. Baptism. Baptism will be the new circumcision. And they are at Jacob's well. And this is a very, very, very important place. It's still there. It's the well of Shechem or Jacob's well. It's in modern Nablus. And that is a large Arab dominated town right there. All scholars agree this is Jacob's well. Undisputed location. This is the place. Eusebius wrote about it way back, way back. Now a church has been built over it. Jerome concurred. He wrote about it. This is the place. And this man is there today, Father Justinus Mamulus, a Greek Orthodox priest. He is the protector of Jacob's well 24-7. He's there. He is the keeper of the well. He has survived numerous attempts on his life by Israeli settlers. I got to meet him with Steve in 2009. He is a saintly, saintly priest. And he said, would you like a cup of water from Jacob's well? Tears streaming down my face. It was, ice cold. it was deep. He had to go down and down and down and down, bring up this ice cold water of living water from Jacob's well. <laughs> oh. And he's still there today, every day, protecting the well. Because right before Father Justinus was Archimandrite Philomenus of Jerusalem, the keeper of the well, right before Father Justinus. And he was brutally murdered at the well on November 16th, 1979. And he is a saint now. Extreme Jewish Zionists came in and massacred him with an ax in the evening while he was praying vespers. His body lies there. His relics are there. After four years, his body was exhumed, which is customary, but it was nearly incorrupt. And a beautiful fragrance came from the casket when they opened the box. 
And that is there, and that is what Father Justinus protects also, his friend, and the well, every day, every night. And he has, remodeled, he has painted all these icons at the church. He has restored this church over Jacob's well. And if you ever get a chance to go there, you must go. Now, what else happened in the city of Shechem? This is where Abraham went, this exact place, right after his call. And Abraham and Sarah had Isaac. And Abraham said, I, my son, I, I can't have him marry a Canaanite girl. Eleazar, my servant, you must go get Isaac a wife, please, please. And he made him swear under his thigh. And so he goes, and, and he goes to find a wife, and he sees her at the well. He sees her at the well, and he prays to the God of Abraham, and he said, if this girl, if this is the one, oh, she's beautiful. If she's the one, let her offer me a drink, and then let her offer to water all my camels, Lord, okay? Okay? Do you guys ever do that to God? Tell him, okay, if this is a sign, here's what I want you to do, and then if that happens, then I'll know. Well, that's exactly what happened because she asked him, would you like a drink of water? And she gives him a drink of water. And then she says, my Lord, could I water your camels for you? Could I water every last one of them? And camels drink a lot of water. And so he knew this is the one. This is the one. Oh, blessed be the Lord of my father, my master, Abraham. This is kin. This is a virgin bride for Rebecca. And he got her at the well. You have to have water in the Middle East. Sheep will die in three days. Flocks of sheep. Jacob had herds and herds of sheep that needed to be watered. You've got to have water. Sirach said water's the basic necessity of life. In hot ancient Israel, there's so many well references. And I'm not going to read all this, but I'll just tell you that this whole section of Genesis 26 is fighting over water rights. There's a famine in the land, and they need water. They need to water these flocks. And so they're digging wells and digging wells and fighting over wells and paying off other people for this land if they find a well. And, oh, we got a well. And, and so well, you got to have water, and you got to have wells. We found water. So now we have Rebecca. And Isaac, and they have two sons, Esau and Jacob. And this is Jacob's well that we're talking about today. And he saw flocks of sheep after he's been, he's left his father's house. He's, he's tricked the old man with a fur on his arms. And he goes to his mother's family. Remember Uncle Laban? He goes to find Uncle Laban and see if he can find a wife. And he sees this beautiful woman coming to the well. And her name is Rachel. And oh my gosh, and and Rachel comes up to water her father's sheep, and Jacob goes up and removes the stone off the well. Now, that is Herculean. You can't move that. It used to take several shepherds to get the stone off, and he goes over right in front of Rachel and takes the stone off for her. Can I help you? And then, this is right from the scripture, then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept out loud. Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinman and that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran to tell her father Laban. And when Laban heard the news, he ran and embraced Jacob and kissed him and brought him to their house. And he said, surely you're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Ah, this is an incredible love story, a tremendous love story at Jacob's well. This is a betrothal, a betrothal, a wedding proposal at the well between Jacob and Rachel. And that's where Jesus is today with a Samaritan woman. And they know all this history. They know what's happened at this well. And she says, are you greater than our ancestor, Jacob, who gave us this well with his sons and his flocks drank from it? It's right here by Mount Gerizim. This is Northern Kingdom, you know. Are you greater than him? Because that's a great love story. What else happened in this town? Jacob's going to have 12 sons. And they're going to have four different mothers. 
But the favorite one is Rachel. The favorite mother is Rachel, and her oldest son is Joseph, and he gives him the coat of many colors. You remember this. Joseph's going to go to this town, Shechem, where Jacob's well is, because his brothers are tending the flocks there. And they see him coming, and they said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into the pit, into the well. Throw him down into this pit. And they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. These wells dry up sometime in the hot summer. The pit was a well at Shechem that Joseph was put down into. And later in Israel's history, there are nomadic people. Jacob is caravanning. He's going to go make peace with his brother Esau after all those years. After he does that, he'll come back to the city of Shechem. And he's going to buy some land there. He's going to buy it for 100 pieces of money. And he's going to put an altar there. And he's going to put... They're going, this is where they're going to bury Joseph. Joseph makes them promise three times in scripture, don't leave me in Egypt. Bring my bones. Bring my bones back. Bring my bones to Shechem. And so three times Joseph begs them to bring his bones back. And there they are today, very close to Jacob's well. You can go visit Joseph's tomb. It's right there by Jacob's well in the town of Shechem. What else happened there? Well, in scripture, we're only told of one name of a daughter that Jacob had, Dinah. And in Shechem is where Dinah is raped. Do you remember that story in Genesis 34? And she's raped by who? Shechem, who the town's named after. Shechem took her by force, and his soul was drawn to her. He loved the girl. He spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem spoke to his father and said, Get me this girl to be my wife. Well, you can imagine the 12 brothers were very angry. They were outraged that Shechem had done this to their sister. And Hamar the Hittite, Shechem's father, they say, please, please, let's make, let's make marriages together. Again, objectification of women. Let's, let's buy and sell our daughters. You give us some of yours, we'll give you some of ours. We can all live here together and be one big happy family. We got plenty of water for your flocks. We can all get rich. And they hear him out, but they know this was deceitful, what they've done to Dinah. How could we ever give our sister to a bunch of uncircumcised men? They're not even in the covenant. And they say, oh, we will get circumcised. We, we, we would do that. And so they all get circumcised. Every single one of those men in Shechem, Hamar, his son, and every male got circumcised. Now, this was a little plot of Simeon and Levi because on day three, when they're super sore from their circumcision, on the third day, while they're still in pain, they come into the town with swords drawn and they took the life of every single male that they just circumcised and they killed the whole city. And for that, Simeon and Levi will never get Jacob's blessing. It's going to go down to the fourth son, Judah, the tribe of Jesus. They're too violent. Now, this is a very contentious place, Shechem. A lot of violence has happened here, and this is where they are. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired out by his journey, and he was sitting by the well, and it was high noon. And a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. They hate each other. They despise each other. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. He has no bucket. He comes in need. The well is deep. You have no bucket. If I touch it and you touch it, 
I'll dirty you with my sin. Where do you get that living water? Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well with his sons and his flocks that drank from it? Are you greater than him? And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I give will never be thirsty. Ever. Ever. The water that I give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Oh, oh, the woman said, sir, sir, give me this water. Oh, give me this water that I may never be thirsty again or have to come here and embarrass myself in front of everyone else and come out in my shame and be fully exposed and walk by myself and be isolated by everyone. Give me this water so I don't have to ever come here and draw water again. And Jesus said to her, and this is his greatest loving statement of this whole story. He says to her, go call your husband and come back. Now, he knows. He can read hearts. He totally knows. But he loves her that much that he wants to get her out of the trap of sin. He's going to tell her the full truth in a very beautiful, gentle way. But he's not going to just say, oh, that's fine. Go call your husband and come back. So she has to say, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. You've had five husbands. And the one you're with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Oh, Oh, the woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. You are a prophet. How does he know this? How does he know this? We've never met. He doesn't know anything about me. How could he know? How could he know? Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, Jerusalem, but you say the place that we must worship is Jerusalem at Mount Zion. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain at Jerusalem nor Jerusalem. Because God can't be put in a box. I'm bigger than that. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. He's going to be in every Catholic tabernacle around the face of the world. Not in Jerusalem, not at Jerusalem. He's going to be everywhere for all people, for all time. The Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Oh, the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will proclaim these things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he. I am he, the one speaking to you. This is the absolute clearest declaration in all the scriptures of Jesus identifying himself to anyone that I can find. He dances around it with different people. Pilate, are you the king of the Jews? Oh, you say I am. You know, I mean, I am he. I am Messiah. I am standing right in front of you in broad daylight. He reveals himself to her. Wow, what a gift is that? I am he. I am he. I am he. And I want to have an encounter with you. And I want to give you living water so you never, ever, ever thirst again. And I want to wash you clean. And I want to forgive your sins. And I want to be your bridegroom, your perfect one. I want to fulfill all your desire. None of those men can do it like I can. 
because you're made for me. There's a space in your heart that only I can fill. Drink the water. I am he. I'm the one speaking to you. And just then the disciples come up and they're astonished. He's speaking to a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? They knew something was happening, something big. The woman left her water jar. She went back to the city and she said to the people, come and see, come and see, come and see a man who told me everything I'd ever done. He read my heart. He knew everything about me. He knew things I, uh, he, uh, could he be the Messiah? I am he. I am he. He is the Messiah. Could he be the Messiah? Could he come and see? In this scripture, she is nameless. In real life, her name is Fotina. She was baptized on Pentecost, tradition says, along with her five sisters, Anatola, Photo, Fotis, Parakiv, and Karieki, and her two sons, Fotinus and Joseph. They were all baptized on Pentecost Day with the 3,000. She took the baptismal name Fotini, or Fotina, which literally means enlightened one. She became a missionary career traveling far and wide to many places, preaching the good news of the Messiah, his death, his resurrection. She was called an apostle and an evangelist, a woman from Samaria. And she became a holy martyr. Jesus appeared to Fotina in a dream, and she sailed to Rome, and her son and many Christians from Africa accompanied her. And upon her arrival, she aroused the curiosity of the capital city of the Roman Empire. Everyone started talking about this woman. Who is this woman, they asked. She came here with a crowd of followers. She preaches Christ with great boldness. She's full of the Holy Spirit, so she has the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like boldness and courage and joy. And eventually, Nero heard about her and had Fotina thrown down into a well of all things. Fittingly, because that was the place where she first encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, her Savior, who set her free. And after 20 days in freezing water with no food, no sleep, she's called up to come and have an audience with Emperor Nero. And again, he says to her, renounce your faith. And do you know what she said to Emperor Nero? (laughs) Full of the Holy Spirit, Fotina replied, most impious, blind, lost, mad man. Can you possibly think me so stupid that I would agree to renounce my Lord Christ and offer sacrifice to idols as blind as you? And without hesitation, Nero had her thrown back into the well where she died a peaceful death with the Lord. The Russian Orthodox call her Svetlana. She was martyred in Rome in 66 AD at Nero's order. She is venerated in the Eastern and Orthodox traditions and recognized in the Roman Catholic martyrology as well. Her name is Saint Fotina. Let's pray. Oh, Saint Fotina, enlightened one, apostle. Oh, give us the strength and courage and boldness that you had to witness to the Lord Jesus Christ who saved you and set you free, who gave you living water to drink so you would never, ever, 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 ever have to go to the well again except at that most sacred hour of death when you went to meet Jesus Christ in heaven, your bridegroom. Fotina, we ask for your intercession. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the Gospel of John, chapter four, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.